is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning we are having something of a history lesson together. But first, just a little confession from me. When I was in school, I did not get along with history. It was a real struggle. I couldn't make dates and names stay in my brain. It just didn't work. So I focused my energies elsewhere. You know, the social sciences and the creative things. And I left history in my history, as it were. And then when I was older one day, I discovered a TV program. If I can have my first slide, some of you will recognize this. Rumbling noise. Who do you think you are? It's a... BBC TV programme where they take a celebrity and they kind of give them all the resources, all the research and all the historians to look at their family tree and find out the history behind who they are and where they come from. And there are some amazing episodes. Uh, I'm just going to give you two of my favourites. Firstly, Danny Dyer. If you don't know Danny Dyer, have a picture. This is him. He is exactly as you imagine, kind of an East London, boy-done-good geezer. Um, just whatever is in your head, that is him, the way he speaks, the way he holds himself. And he gets taken to this chapel in France, um, and he gets told that King Louis IX, who was a devout Catholic, sainted after his death, was in fact his great, 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 however many, grandfather. And Danny is standing in this chapel that King Louis built to honour God. That is, uh, the stained glass window is the whole story of the Bible laid out and it's amazing. And as it kind of dawns on him, the camera does a close-up on his face and Danny Dyer looks into it and just says, I think I'm going to swear less in the future. <laughs> so there's something so cool and wonderful about that human moment of somebody feeling the weight of that family history and thinking, oh, I need to do something with this. Or there was an episode with Olympic gold medalist and rower Matthew Pinsent. Here he is, celebrating his win. Um, <clears throat> I'll be honest, I'm not the best with uh, Olympic rowers, so I think that's Matthew Pinsent. Great. Um, he's shown a family tree that links him back to William the Conqueror. And then the historian who's with him, as if that isn't enough, brings out this other ancient scroll and starts rolling it out. And this is a scroll that shows the family tree that William the Conqueror had made for himself. And it traces the family back to Adam and Eve. And then very casually, this historian unrolls the top of the scroll and just goes, and there's God. <laughs> And again, just amazing. I would say, I think kings tend to be unreliable narrators of their own family tree. Um, they like to associate divinity via it, but still amazing. And it was watching these TV shows that I realised I love history. It turns out I have no space in my brain for names and numbers. I genuinely was 10 years into my marriage before my husband pointed out that to remember the date of his birthday, I just had to double mine. Mine is on the 2nd, his is on the 22nd. <laughs> I couldn't make it stick. But you give me a story, you put me in something that makes sense, and I love it. And this is what I love with the Bible. I love understanding the wider narrative of where we fit into the world. And it's what I want to do this morning. We're starting a series on 1 Samuel. And my hope is this morning, I can set up for you some dominoes that as we go through this series, will fall into place and help you see where you fit in the wider story of the Bible and God's great salvation story. So the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, they were originally just one book, Samuel, but when the Greek translations were made of the Bible, they had to separate it purely for scroll length. It was just how much text we can fit on a piece of paper type of situation. Um, and so when I talk throughout this about the books of Samuel, it's, it's one book, and we're very much looking at the first half of Samuel. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel in this series. Um, 
It's the biographical telling of the last judge of Israel, Samuel, and the first two kings, Saul and David. It's the telling of the national history of Israel and of the eternal story of God's sovereignty and his salvation plan. And we are part of God's family. If you didn't know that this morning, let me welcome you into my family. As I once adopted Peter Ledger, let me tell you now, God has adopted you. You're a part of this family. And therefore, this is all part of your who do you think you are story. But to understand it, we need to start a little bit further up our family tree. So we're going to go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we're going to find Abraham, known to many of us as the father of the faith. In Genesis 12, God makes him a promise. He says to him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham is old, real old, and his wife is barren. But because we have a God who keeps his promises, his 90-year-old wife has a son named Isaac. And then through Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, we have Jacob. And then Jacob and his four wives have 12 sons. We've got a picture of his, not an accurate picture, to be fair, of his 12 sons. Um, these 12 families grow into what's known as the 12 tribes of Israel. They are in Egypt for 400 years. The families grow and they become the tribes. And each of the tribes are named after the sons. We've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and so on. You'll notice I stopped at the tricky name. <laughs> Jacob's sons are the patriarchs of the tribes that make up the nation of Israel. And each tribe is later given land to inherit and tasks to do. The Levi tribe, the tribe of Levi, are not given land to inherit because the Bible tells us that their inheritance is the Lord. It's because they are the priests and they inhabit the tabernacle and later the temple. And if we follow the tribe of Levi, their family tree leads us to Moses and then later to John the Baptist. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> but this is why the Bible has these sections of genealogy that sometimes we get to was the father of, was the father of, was the father. And the temptation is to skip it in our personal reading. But this is why it matters, because God is showing us how his purposes have always been at work through his people. He has decided who would be born to who and what they would do. It's glorious. And these sections are the family trees in the Bible. So our 12 tribes are delivered from slavery in Egypt and the Israelites make a covenant or a contract with God at Mount Sinai. They will be his people. He will be their God and they will obey the covenant laws. And then eventually they come into the promised land. There Israel was supposed to be faithful to God. They were supposed to obey the covenant lands and live within his blessings. It should have been victory won, task completed. But... The book of Judges in the Bible tells us how Israel failed at the task of remaining faithful to God. And the people entered into a cycle. This is what happens to them. They fall into disobedience against the laws. It leads them into destruction. They realize their ways. They repent. They decide to be obedient again. And then God sends them a judge to deliver them, to guide them back to the ways of the Lord. But it never lasts long before they fall back into disobedience again. And so the cycle continues throughout the book of Judges. To help save them from their disobedience, God has provided them with judges who acted also as prophets, hearing directly from God to lead the people. And he has provided them with priests through the tribe of uh, Levi, and the priests take care of the spiritual requirements of the law for the people. God has provided them with the laws to keep them holy, and he has placed his presence amongst them with the ark. He has sent, set them up for success. 
but their sinful nature keeps driving them back into destruction. And the book of Judges concludes with sobering words. In Judges 21, 25, we read, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And the real problem, as we see played out in the books of Samuel, is not their lack of a king, but rather it is their refusal to honour and obey the king that they have in God. So at the end of Judges, we find our 12 tribes in a time of moral chaos, having largely abandoned their faith. They are jealous of the nations around them, and they are looking to the culture that surrounds them for wisdom, rather than looking to their God. They do what seems right in their own eyes not what is right according to God's law. And this self-serving, self-pleasing culture has led them once again into destruction. And now, into this scene, enters Samuel, the last and the greatest of the judges. And the events of 1 Samuel, they occur at the end of the book of Judges. And the narrative of 1 Samuel begins with the birth of Judge Samuel and concludes with the death of Israel's first king. The books of Samuel focus on three main characters, as well as others, it has the prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after him, King David. All three of these men transition Israel from a group of tribes led by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. It's a structural shift that isn't just politically important, although it is, but it's also important in the way that the Israelites understand themselves as the people of God. God has moved them into a kingdom people, preparing to receive their king. A key change in this time is that, unlike when the judges were leading the people, the kings never hear directly from God. They need to hear from the prophets to know the will of God. And God has provided a structure in these roles, a prophet, priest, king, and judge, to help guide people. They and we need the prophet who can hear the voice of God and help explain his will to us. We need a judge to convict us of our sins against God in order for us to change. And we need a high priest who can intercede on our behalf to deal with all the sin that we have been convicted of. And we need a king to lead us into righteousness. And the books of Samuel take us through a point in the history of Israel where the people have been given all of these roles. They've had the prophets sent to them, the priests established from the tribe of Levi. They've had 13 judges before Samuel, and now they ask for a king. And in each of the three roles that come before the king, the book of Judges shows us that human fulfillment was not sufficient. God had given the Israelites rules, but they had rejected and ignored them. He put his presence amongst them in the ark, but they were careless with it. He sent prophets to direct and warn them, but they didn't listen and even killed some of them. God provided priests, but the priests couldn't stay holy. He sent judges to redirect them back to his will, but the people still fell away from God. And once again, the people are left in moral chaos and continuing our cycle of disobedience, destruction, repentance and obedience, deliverance and blessing, and then back into disobedience. Israel is a mess. And now only eight chapters into the book of 1 Samuel, the people cry out for a king and we wait to see what a king will do. And I'm sorry to bring a spoiler to what the other preachers will tell you in the coming weeks, but it doesn't work out. It does not solve the problem of Israel's disobedience. Because what they needed then, and what we need now, is a saviour, who is our prophet, who is our priest, our judge, and our king. And through the family tree of the tribe of Judah, one of our 12 
tribal leaders, we get King David, the king whose rise to power we see in 1 Samuel. And through his family bloodline, we meet Mary, the young woman who gives birth to Jesus, born to fulfill all of those roles for us as our saviour. And his blood spilt on the cross brings each of us into this family, adopted as sons and co-heirs with Christ. This is our family history. But there is truth in, um, and a warning in the saying that history repeats itself. As we turn to 1 Samuel, we find a people group once devoted to God and governed by the laws, now looking to find their morality in the culture that surrounds them, no longer trusting that God has appointed people to lead and judge them, no longer wanting God as their king. God's intention had been that they would be set apart from those around, us, around them, that they have sought to be conformed instead to the culture surrounding them. They worship false gods, they seek their own pleasure and compromise truth and purity of heart. And I see this repeating in the world surrounding us now. I see a, a people who worship false gods, be it money, power, even relationships, are people who do what is right in their own eyes and seek their own pleasure, laying aside the Bible and no longer recognise it as authority or as the word of God. And who do you think you are? They love a census. They're always very delighted when they can pull out the big book with the census in it. Um, it's because it tells you so much of the state of a nation. And the results of the 2021 UK census have been wildly publicised. I think we've probably all heard the statistic. But for the first time, it found that those in the UK identifying as Christian has fallen below 50%. Now, my personal suspicion is that what we're seeing is that people no longer identify as Christian purely based on their family culture or their upbringing. We were once living in a country that defined itself as Christian, and we no longer are. We do not live in a society that views the Bible as an authority. We do not live in a society who view Christians as holding the moral high ground anymore. That's not what the world sees when it looks at us. And God's intention is that we, the church, be set apart for him. It was the intention for the nation of Israel, and it's the intention for us now, that we don't look for our morality and culture around us, that we trust him as king. We should hold tight to scripture as our primary understanding of how we live. Everything else, our understanding of all other things, should come through the lens of God's word. If there is a warning siren that calls throughout 1 Samuel, it is this. Do not conform to culture and do not seek to put people in the place of God. So over the coming weeks, as we study 1 Samuel together, let's learn from this history by looking for themes that God has woven through this book. And the first theme I want to encourage us to look for together in the book of 1 Samuel, it's God's promise to Israel that there is a greater king to come. Samuel is frustrated as the people demand a king from him. He knows God is their king. He knows that it will lead them back into this destruction. But God says to him in 1 Samuel 8, 7, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And God, by allowing the people to have human kings who will fail them in dramatic and impactful ways, demonstrates to them that their need for a greater king. And he sets in place a template for the king to come. The story of King David is one of the um, signposts in Samuel that points towards Jesus, both from Bethlehem, both persecuted kings, sent by their fathers, rejected by their brothers, 
David was a shepherd boy, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He cares for, protects, and leads his people. David is a worshipper of God, seeking to bring God's rule to earth. In 1 Samuel 13 and 14, the Lord, through Samuel, describes David as a man after God's own heart. And David unites a kingdom under the name of the Lord. But David is only a man, and he isn't able to stay righteous and holy. He falls to sin, as all the kings do. He is not the king that Israel needs. The king they need will live the perfect, holy life. The kingdom that David brought together was only a temporary kingdom for Israel. It soon divides. But when Jesus comes, he establishes an eternal, everlasting kingdom. In all the fallen kings of Israel, there is a promise of a greater king to come. And do we know Jesus is our king today? Are we keeping him in that place? We need to seek to keep God in his rightful place as a king over our own lives. Allow him to rule over us and bring his blessings unto us. We need to fight against the pull of idolatry that Israel fell into so frequently. In God's sovereignty, he uses the time of Samuel, Saul and David to point us towards the promise of Jesus, the greater king. And that is our second theme we're going to look for. Number two, God is sovereign. It's interesting to me that Samuel dies partway through 1 Samuel, and yet the book of Samuel continues without him, because this isn't a book about Samuel. And I know, I said at the beginning, it's a story of Samuel and the kings, and it is. But really, the book of Samuel, like all of the Bible, is a story of God drawing his people back to him, of his sovereignty, when all looks to be chaos and lost, he remains true and purposeful. In 1 Samuel 12, 22, we read, The Lord will not abandon his people, because that would dishonour his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. The sovereignty of God is front and centre in this book. Even as the people of Israel reject the judges and demand a king to be like the nations around them, the Lord continues to rule over his people. He brings them a king to satisfy their desire for status, And then he uses it to show them the foolishness of their ways and ultimately to bring them a better king in due time. God elevates David, but even in David's life, he allows for struggle and pain, providing an opportunity for David to write most of the songs that we find in the book of Psalms. If David had never been through that challenge, we wouldn't have the gift of Psalms. There is a layering of purpose, all of it under God's sovereignty. At the surface level, the story of the book of Samuel reads a lot like um, a soap opera that Danny Dyer could have starred in. We have characters who are self-absorbed and conspiratorial. They are egotistical. We have an underdog, an affair, and we have a lot of murder. On a human level, it all just seems like everyday sinful humanity, but God is using it to write a bigger story. The sovereignty of God is right there, on display as we step back and we see a picture of the suffering Messiah waiting to establish his kingdom through the line of King David. Knowing that God is sovereign, trusting that God is always working for the good of those who love him, gives us a strength, a confidence and a peace that the world doesn't understand or know. We have a confidence of a people who are standing in the middle of a storm and knowing that our God made the wind and the waves. 
I'm so grateful for Susie's testimony. That confidence of knowing God is in control. I am safe in my loved one's arms. Our world is in chaos right now. We're in a time of financial decline, political upheaval, and we're still, many of us, processing really the outcomes of a global pandemic. And as has already been said this morning, many of us in this room are fighting battles in our own lives. Every storm that the disciples encountered had Jesus in it. And the same is true of our lives. God is sovereign. He will meet you in the storm. And if you need prayer this morning, prayer for that confidence, that peace and strength for the things you're facing, then would love to pray for you at the end. I and some others will be down here to the left ready to pray with you. Or if you feel comfortable just where you are grabbing a friend and saying, please pray for me this morning, then please do that. I don't want anyone to leave this place this morning without handing over their battles to God. He will fight it for you and he will reign over your life as your king. And then thirdly, the third theme we're going to look for as we study the book of 1 Samuel together. Uh, God's word as the highest authority. The books of Samuel reinforce the authority of God's word as spoken through the prophets. During the time of the patriarchs, our 12 tribal leaders that we discussed earlier, um, the judges, the Lord spoke to them directly. The judges were also the prophets. Those two things came together, the role of leader and prophet. They were inseparable. There was no distinction. But once the kings arrive, God only reveals his word through the prophets. From that point forward, the king, the leader of Israel, never had the word of God again given through him. So the kings would lead, but they would go to the prophet to find out the word of God. That was a change, and it demonstrated that God's word is the highest authority in God's creation. It is above human kings, and that's why God separates them at this point. In 1 Samuel uh, 15 verse 16 we read, And Samuel said to Saul, Stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. Because Saul may be king, but he cannot know the word of God except through the prophet. King Saul had Samuel as his prophet from God, and King David had Samuel followed by Nathan. God wanted his voice to be with his people. He wanted to speak to his people, but he needed to separate it from the kings so the people would be clear that he alone was their God. He didn't want a William the Conqueror-style association to God. <laughs> um, at Woodside, we hold the word of God in Scripture as an authority, and we study it together on Sundays, midweek in our small groups. Our kids are studying it upstairs right now. Our youth study it together. And at Woodside, we have what's called our DNA. It's a statement of who we are, and it is this. A family of grace and truth, biblical truth, called to serve and reflect our community knowing the word, scripture, and power of the spirit, seeking to equip and release everyone in order to bring glory to Jesus. It is right there. The authority of scripture is in our DNA as a people. And when we look to cast vision, we also value the prophetic. We listen to it. There is a vision booklet. There's plenty of these available at the back if anybody wants one or doesn't have one yet, but they look like this. Um, Martin shared this last year, and it is full of a timeline almost of prophetic words that God has spoken over this church that have helped us to shape our vision, helped us to understand where God is calling us. The leadership at Woodside want to hear clearly what God is calling our church to do, and we seek to hear his voice. Currently, the elders and others 
are um, looking at some really rich prophetic words that came towards the end of last year. They are weighing them, praying over them, and seeking God's will in them. Our leaders look to the word of God for direction because we believe that Jesus is building his church. He is our judge, prophet, priest, and king, and it's him that we together are following. It's not Martin. It's three Martin. (laughs) And then finally, the last theme I would encourage us to look for as we work through the book of Samuel together. Who is God calling? Samuel is a young boy when God calls him, but he responds from the very start and throughout his life with faith and obedience. Samuel was a man of prayer committed to the work of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 12, 23, he said to the people, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you, and I will continue to teach you what is good and right. And David, as we know, is a man after God's own heart. He is humble and obedient to God. So look for the types of people God is calling. Look at Hannah, as we will next week. Look at David. Look at Samuel. Look at the others. What do their characters tell us about who God is using? And look for the pattern where obedience leads to blessing and disobedience leads to destruction. In the books of Samuel we see that God is looking for humble, faith-filled, obedient hearts. Those who will look for and then follow his will. Those who will love him and seek him first. Today, God is looking for the same. As Christians, we've each been called by God. You have a calling on your life. (coughs) Called into his family, called to his purposes on earth, called to become more like Christ, and called to share his good news with others. So I would encourage you to be open to allowing God to shape you during this series. Look for your line in his great family tree. Ask the who do you think you are question through his eyes, his story, his purposes as we explore the book of Samuel. And that is me. I'm just going to pray for us this morning as we close. You can just bow your heads where you are. Father, I thank you that you have given us the gift of your word through scripture. Thank you that we can look at the story you have woven, all of it, in order to bring us back into community with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are our king who goes into battle for us, defeating death and sin. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be our great high priest, interceding on our behalf. Thank you that you are a just judge and that it pleases you to look on Christ's sacrifice and pardon us. Lord, I ask today, would you lift our heads? (coughs) We look at our king on the throne of heaven and be encouraged again that the victory is won. In all our circumstances, would we know your confidence and sovereignty? Lord, I pray, would it give us peace in times of struggle and courage in times of challenge? Lord, help us to hold your kingship and authority of your word above all else. Forgive me, Lord, for when I have looked to conform to the patterns of this world. And today, Lord, would you pour out fresh forgiveness, fresh blessing on your people. Lord, thank you that you have called us into your family. Equip us as we leave this place, Lord, to go into the world, shining and different. Lord, would you bring your glory with us where we go. Amen. Thank you, guys.
fantastic. I think we're going to have a rich time with this series. I really do. There's so much that we can apply into our setting. And uh, I feel we need to hear these things and really allow God's truth to shape us. Are we up for that? Yeah, it's going to be good. Okay. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.